Here in Acts chapter 13, we're going to read verses 4 through 12 as we continue our series um, in the acts of the risen Lord Jesus as he has uh, revealed them to us by his spirit. So I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at uh, Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the, the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. He was with the proconsul. Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all, of all righteousness, Full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. There's a poem by John Henry Newman, which I have come to love. I'm going to read it as we start to dive into the word of the Lord here in Acts chapter 13. Newman writes, runs not the word of truth through every land, a sword to sever and a fire to burn. If blessed Paul had stayed in cot or learned shade with the priest white attire and the saints tuneful choir, men had not gnashed their teeth nor risen to slay, but thou hadst been a heathen in thy day. What is Newman saying? Newman is saying that there was a comfortable life before the Apostle Paul. And that comfortable life looked like, what? Staying in Antioch, uh, taking it it easy with the saints there, seeing the church in Antioch continue to grow as he would uh, enjoy singing hymns with them, as he would uh, enjoy learning of the scriptures in, in, in the shade of Antioch. But Paul went forth. Paul went on uh, several missionary journeys. And when he did that, it guaranteed two things. First of all, that he would encounter great opposition, that men would gnash their teeth at him and raise, uh, rise to slay him. But also, it ensured that you, you who have been called by the Lord, would come to know the gospel and believe. You see, we're about to study these missionary journeys of Paul. And uh, there are several of them, and it's going to take us through the rest of the book of Acts. But as we lean in and look at these missionary journeys, uh, I don't want it to just be about learning the facts 
Um, I, I certainly, uh, you, you'll see probably next week, I'm going to put a map in front of you so you get a sense of the geography and scope of this thing. But what I want you to, to see is not uh, uh, that you just do a checklist of understanding what these missionary journeys are all about and where they go, but rather that you see that this is about God's mission toward you, toward sinners who desperately needed his gospel, who needed to hear his word. And as we study this history of of Saul's travels, uh, what I want you to see is this is really about the great missionary heart of God. And every time that Saul goes to a new city and encounters opposition there, God is saying it's worth it because my gospel goes forth and sinners believe. That's the, the, the golden thread that runs through the rest of the book of Acts. The missionary heart of God. Every map speaks of his intent to save. Every new city that the gospel goes to shows that God just isn't, he's not just about maintaining the faith in some quiet little place, but he's about spreading the faith. This is your history because if Paul had not gone forth, how does the poem end? You would be a heathen in this day. You would not have heard the gospel. If he had not taken the gospel at risk of his own life to foreign lands, you probably wouldn't be here. This is the Lord's appointed means of saving sinners like you. And so I want to look at this first um, narrative. I want to look at uh, the travel to the island of Cyprus, because here we see a snapshot of the missionary heart of God as as the gospel goes forth. You'll see that uh, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, the kind of pastoral intern who's with them, they go uh, to the island of Cyprus. Now, I would ask you, if you were uh, undergoing the first stage of a missionary advance outside of Antioch, and you could go anywhere, where would you go? I mean, you look at the map, and, and you think, there's a whole ancient world ahead of me. That I, could, I could go to Rome. I could go uh, really anywhere. But they choose to go to Cyprus. Why? Well, Cyprus is located 100 miles to the west, And it could be that they just went to the first place they they hit land. But Barnabas is from Cyprus. Barnabas knows a lot about Cyprus. And uh, Cyprus is also a vacation island. It's a place with tropical uh, trees and uh, where people would would enjoy uh, the sun. Uh, Now, I don't think any of these reasons are why they sail to Cyprus. I believe they sail to Cyprus because it is a major crossroads of the ancient world. It is a major crossroads in the Mediterranean Sea where people would stop and they'd refuel. And Paul and Barnabas and John Mark know that if the gospel takes root in Cyprus, it goes out everywhere. That seems to be the reason why they, they slowly but surely go to Cyprus and start making their way along its coastline um, from uh, Salamis all the way to Paphos on the other side. If the gospel takes root in Cyprus, it goes everywhere. Now, while they're in Cyprus, they they have this unexpected opportunity, and it's a a wonderful opportunity uh, to speak to the governor, the proconsul, of Cyprus. This is the guy that the Romans have put in charge of this important island. And he runs the whole shebang there. He's in charge of it all. And so here's Sergius Paulus. 
And uh, the scripture says that he summons uh, these men who have been preaching at synagogues, and he wants to hear what they have to say. Now, this is an outright Gentile pagan. He has no connection to the synagogues that we know of. Uh, For all we know, he is the first audience of the gospel who has uh, no connection at all with the God of Israel. And yet he says, what is this news? What's this word that's spreading through my land? And the scripture says that he's an intelligent man. He, he's a man that, that's, that's interested in these things. And so they go to talk to him. But there's a problem, isn't there? What is the problem? Right? There's opposition that encounters the gospel. And that opposition comes from Alemus, a man who's sitting at the, at the side of the proconsul. And if there are any Lord of the Rings fans out there, I can't help but think of uh, the king of Rohan and, and that, I, I can't remember his name, but this sorcerer. Oh, what's his name? I don't even know what you said. But that ancient, sinister-sounding name, that man, is, he, he's serpent-like. He sits at the side of the king, and he whispers lies into the king's ear. And, and the king, uh, you, you, you can see him visibly as he's, he's rotting away under the... Um, uh, the uh, the devious influence of this man. Now, something like that is going on here, where Alemus has this power, this sway over the proconsul, and the proconsul probably thinks that this man is here right next to him uh, to help to, to to teach him something about the Jewish religion and and, and magic, and and he's uh, he's interested in Alemus, but really Alemus holds this powerful sway that Sergius Paulus doesn't probably doesn't even realize he has over his courts. And that's where this dramatic stage of the gospel versus this evil influence comes. And caught in the crossroads is the soul of Sergius Paulus. He's right in the middle. Now, Paul says something here. Now, first of all, you notice this is the first time in the book of Acts that he singled out as Paul. Why is that? Well, it's because Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his uh, Roman name, and he is going to the Gentiles, and so now he's he uh, he's going to be identified with that pro- primarily uh, Gentile Roman name, Paul. So Paul speaks into this dramatic situation, and he says a number of things that I think we ought to focus on. First, he says this to Elemus. He says that you have made crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Now, I want to reflect on that for a moment. This means that the Lord has straight paths that connect sinners with salvation. The straight paths of the Lord that bring the gospel to those that need to hear it. Now, I want you to think about this because I don't want to just skip over this phrase. It's very important. When we look at a map, let's say, you know, a few, a few weeks ago, I was making a big drive across the country and I would open a map and it just, I just saw all these interconnected highways all over the place. I saw locations. I saw that roads that connect locations. But for me, it's all infrastructure. It's all, uh, it's all roads. And, 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 uh, but when God looks at a map, when God looks at, uh, at, at the world as it is right now, what does he see? When God looks at a map, he sees sinners who he desires to save. He sees gospel witnesses And he sees the roads that connect these two by his sovereign decree, by his plan. The Lord sees his straight straight paths that he has declared from from the beginning of time, 
for how he would take sinners who are living in darkness, he would take gospel witnesses that he has already saved, and he would bring them together by some uh, road that we cannot see. And he would save them by the power of the gospel. That is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about the straight paths of the Lord. It is the paths that none of us can anticipate, but God sees them, the paths that lead from sin to salvation in the intersection of the gospel. Now think of this in terms of Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus, this pagan governor of Cyprus, thinks that he is setting um, up an audience with these uh, interesting teachers. But really what's happening? The Lord is setting up an audience with Sergius Paulus. He's orchestrating this gospel proclamation opportunity. And Sergius Paulus doesn't even realize it. You know, I wonder if Paul and, and, and his companions even realized this is what's happening. Because it's unexpected. It, it, but it, what it does is it reveals to us, it, it, it reinforces to us the missionary heart of God. Luke 19.10 says this, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then what did we hear in, in um, the book of Isaiah this morning? We heard that the Lord uh, sent forth his son to make straight a highway for salvation. So this is the missionary heart of God. When God looks at a map, as it were, I'm using, I'm using human terms, right? When God looks at a map, he sees his divine plan to make this straight path uh, from Antioch to Cyprus and to bring uh, Paul and Barnabas to proclaim the good news to him. The straight path right to salvation. To seek and to save the lost. To make straight a highway, a path that leads uh, to praise of his name, that expands his kingdom. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about the straight paths of the Lord. And so I wonder if this morning, if, if you need more of that, more of that sense um, in your own life, more of a reflection upon uh, the straight paths of the Lord. You know, you go to the grocery. You see people moving about there. You see someone who, uh, who, who cashes you out, who gives you your groceries in a bag. And, and we're thinking largely in terms of infrastructure, just, uh, just geography, just random people. But what if we got more of a sense uh, that none of this is really random and that there are straight paths that lead from us as gospel witnesses to others who need to hear the good news and God already knows what those straight paths to salvation are. What if we got more of a sense that the people and the things that happen in our lives are, no, are, are by no means an accident, but are highways of salvation? Would that change the way that you, you live as gospel witnesses? Would that change the way that you are eager and ready and confident to speak about Jesus when you have opportunity? I think this clicks for Paul. He says, this isn't an accident that we're talking to the governor, the proconsul of Cyprus. The Lord is up to something. He has straight paths going out in a million directions that lead to salvation for all who would believe. Maybe this morning you're here and you're thinking, you know, I haven't believed the gospel yet. I'm still thinking about this. I would suggest 
boldly that it is not a mistake that you are here, that the Lord has led you to a place where you are hearing good news proclaimed. And by the end of this sermon, you are indeed going to hear the gospel loud and clear. And I would suggest to you that it's not by a mistake that the Lord has, has put you on this path. You're not so much seeking an audience with the Lord as he is seeking an audience with you. He is bringing his gospel to bear on you. And there is a straight path of salvation for all who would believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord has straight paths, straight paths of salvation. The other thing that we see in this passage that stands out is that there is a crooked path of the evil one. Paul says to Alemus, how dare you make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. You know, Satan does not want the gospel to arrive at its final destination. God, by his decree, has, as it were, punched in the GPS. Here's the final destination. We must arrive here. Satan wants to take that gospel message off of its path, off of its delivery route, and uh, I'll tell you, he's, he's done this here in this passage through this man, this magician, Alemus. He has planted him here for this purpose, anticipating this very thing, putting him um, in the ear of Sergius Paulus. You know, there's something that Satan wants to do. He wants the gospel message to bounce off of Cyprus like a bouncy ball and to seek, sink into the Mediterranean Sea, just plop in the, into the Mediterranean Sea and just go down um, and so that no one ends up hearing it. That's his, that's his intent. That's his purpose. God wants to get the gospel to um, Sergius Paulus. Satan wants to do everything he can to just push it out of that path. Well, Elemus is his chosen instrument to do that. Um, his name, he has many names. One of them is Bar-Jesus. It means son of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a pretty popular name at that time. Um, I hate to tell you that, but it's true. You know, Jesus, he, his, his name is very dear to us. It's become very dear to us. But at the time, it simply meant something like God saves. God saves. Um, and so when, when Elimus is called Bar-Jesus, maybe it's because he's, he's identifying as uh, he's trying to build upon the popularity of this name of Jesus. Or maybe he's just claiming to be a son of salvation. You know, oh, you come to me. You learn my magical arts. You learn my version of, of twisted religion and, and you'll have salvation. Here he is whispering in the governor's ear. Don't listen to them, sir. Don't listen to them. They're bringing you falsehood. They're bringing you lies. Send them out of your presence. Send them out of your court. Well, Paul has bold words for Elemus in verse 6. What does he say? Let's, let's actually read them. Verse 6, he says, or rather, verse 9 or 10. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see for a time. Now, these are bold words, aren't they? What's, what's Saul saying? He's saying, you're no son of Jesus. 
You're a son of the devil. You're no path to salvation. You are the most sinister and crooked plot of Satan imagined. That's that's pretty harsh. There are many times when Christians ought to hold their tongues and live quiet lives. The Bible says that, doesn't it? We seek to live quiet, peaceable lives. But there is a time when the Lord invites us to ramp up our rhetoric. When, when is that a time we can do that? Well, a time just like this, when there is a soul at stake, when someone stands between the gospel and another person, when someone is, is standing in the midst of that straight path of the Lord uh, from sin to salvation, and they're saying, stop, don't, uh, don't listen to the gospel. That's when we're invited to ramp up our rhetoric and, and to say something like, you are standing in the way of God. You're going to be accountable for that. The Lord has very strong language for those who would, who would block the path of salvation for another person. What does he say? He said, it would be better that a millstone would be uh, hung around someone's neck than that they would mislead, uh, uh, deceive one of his little ones. So I pray that none of you, none of you would ever veer from the faith and stand in the way of someone coming to salvation. Mist, darkness, confusion, physical blindness exposes, exposes Alemus's true condition, his spiritual condition. That he is deceived And that his words are untrue. And here's where we see the Lord overcoming opposition and showing that really no one can ultimately stand in the straight paths of the Lord. That when the Lord has determined that the gospel is going to reach a person, it's going to happen. It's going to reach its destination. You notice that in our passage, God took the efforts of Elimus to deter the gospel from its proper path, and he used that very thing to bring Sergius Paulus to saving faith. You know, Elimus tries to stand in the way of God, and it's Elimus who ends up being this, uh, this visible portrayal of the destitution of spiritual darkness and the truth of the gospel. Notice that this miracle that the apostle performs. What does this miracle do? It confirms the words he's teaching. So that Sergius Paulus says, I believe. Now here's what's so amazing here. Look at this. Look at verse 12. What was it that led Sergius Paulus to believe? Well, it had something to do with the miracles uh, that bore witness to the truth of what Paul was proclaiming. The miracles help to confirm the truth of the gospel. But what does it say? It says he was astonished at what? At the teaching of the Lord. It wasn't the, the miracles that astonished him the most. He didn't just, you know, believe because, wow, that was a really crazy and cool thing that happened to, to that magician. He really got taken down. Yeah, I, I, guess, I, I guess he's true. I guess what Paul's saying is right. No. What was it? It was the teaching. It was the gospel that astonished Sergius Paulus. Let me remind you of that gospel. The gospel is this, that your sins 
are serious. That you are worse than you think. But God's grace is greater than you ever imagined in Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the gospel in a nutshell. In your sins, you are worse than you think. It's easy, isn't it, to compare yourself to other people, to play this game of propping yourself up. It's easy to say, I think when I got, get to heaven, I'll be, I'll be good to go. I think God will understand that the mistakes in my life were simple ones. It's easy to tell yourself this version, this narrative that, uh, that puts you at the center of the universe and say, well, if I don't make it to heaven, then I guess no one will. Until you realize that your sins are against a holy God. A perfect God. One who cannot be in the presence of evil. One who who cannot bear selfish rebellion against his kingdom. So left to ourselves, there is no hope of restoration. No hope of reconciliation with that God. But that God who knows and who sees and who reminds us that we are worse than we think is greater and more full of grace than we ever imagined because he sent forth his son to save us, sent forth his son on a rescue mission all the way to the cross where he died the death that we deserve to die. He died the death of a rebel. He died the death of a selfish opposer of God's kingdom. He took the punishment to cleanse us of our guilt as a public sacrifice for our sins. And then he rose again on the third day to give us newness of life and hope that anyone who would call upon his name would have hope beyond death, hope of reconciliation with God and eternal life forevermore. That gospel, that good news is available to all who would believe, all who would lay upon, who would lay their hands upon it and who would trust in this Savior. Even the most vile sinner, the moment he believes, redemption receives. That's the good news. That's what Sergius Paulus was most astonished by. He said, Could, can this really be? That the God who made me would decide to save me? Would he humble himself to seek me out? He's astonished by that gospel. Are you astonished? Or have you started to let it just kind of sink into the fabric of your lives and, and start to forget it? You need to remind yourselves every day that the gospel is, is of all things, the thing worth saying, wow, about. Wow, God did that for me? There are inscriptions in Cyprus that confirm that Sergius Paulus and his family believed, became a new outpost of God's covenant, a new outpost of his kingdom. Archaeologists have found this, they've confirmed it, and what they've confirmed is that he is the first known Gentile pagan convert. You see, it really was this. If, if the gospel hadn't gone to Sergius Paulus, probably wouldn't have come to us. He represents this this outpost of of the gospel, not just going to this ring of of, of God-fears who who were outside the covenant but knew about the God of Israel. This is a guy who knew nothing of, of the God of Israel, who may not have ever set foot in a synagogue, and yet he is welcomed, and so we are welcomed. 
Do you believe? Do you believe this gospel? God invites you this morning to join him on his straight paths, to meet him on these straight paths that go out to save sinners and to bring him into his kingdom. Now he calls you to take the gospel to a world that needs it in your witness, in our, in our corporate witness, and the individual words that you're able to share to those who are living in darkness. His straight paths go forward through us even today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, send forth your labors. Send forth your preachers. Send forth your witnesses so that straight paths would be made through the darkness and through the deserts to those who you have chosen to call unto yourself. Lord, we do not know where your straight paths lead precisely, Lord, but we know that you have them and we know that we are used as instruments for their advancement. And so we ask, Lord, that we would be ready to take the gospel, that you would save sinners, and that the reaction to all of this would be astonishment every day at the beauty of your gospel and what you are doing through it. We ask, Lord, that you would remind us this morning the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he sought us out. We pray this in his name. Amen. We come to the time of the Lord's Supper. I invite our elders to come forward to help serve.